Good evening. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have an Edgar Winter. How are you? I'm great. Are you ready to rock and roll out there? I, I am. I am. And I'm very excited. You are uh, an icon, a legend. And we're going to talk about the album you did with your, with, uh, for your brother, who's other, another legend himself. So this is a pretty exciting talk for me. Um, I've been a fan of you and your brother for a long time. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, it was such a life-altering experience making this album. And I had thought that it would be highly emotional, and I knew it would stir a lot, up a lot of old childhood memories. And uh, uh, oddly enough, I was very much opposed to doing a tribute album in the beginning. Uh, Johnny passed away in 2014, and immediately after that, I got lots of uh offers from various companies and they all asked questions like uh how soon can you do it we want to strike yeah. while the iron is hot uh what guests uh artists can you guarantee uh kind of creepy <laughs> you know it it just sounded so much like commercial exploitation of right. johnny's name mm -hmm. i just didn't want it wasn't something I wanted to be a part of at the time. Plus, I was just emotionally devastated and wasn't ready to make the record in, in all honesty. Uh, and shortly after that, there was a tour that we were both uh, that we were both booked to play together with our very with our respective bands. In other words, Johnny was going to play with his band. I would appear with my band and we would have jamming at the end. And I thought, well, surely this is going to cancel. But yeah. much to my surprise, the promoters wanted it to go on as planned with me and my band as the headliners. So the, oh, wow. the first night after doing Frankenstein, which is my usual closer, I did, uh, I did uh, Johnny Be Good and uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, uh, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, a couple of Johnny's songs. And, and dedicated the end of the set to him. And, you know, there was just such an outpouring of love and respect from the fans and everybody was so nice, like all the other artists uh, being a multi-act show, you know, uh, came up and jammed and it, it turned into a sort of a tradition. And it made me realize that it wasn't just record company people, but Johnny's uh, devoted and loyal fans that would really want to see this happen. So that's what started me thinking about it. And, well, it's uh, great. You know, and I, I do think the timing is, is good the way you did it when you heal. I think when a person passes, the record labels are like piranhas, but they forget, you know, that like you're like, he wasn't just a great guitar player. He was my brother. He was like my other half. You know, or someone's father dies or like, you know, it, like they don't Taylor Hawkins, who's on this album, his his sudden passing, you know, they waited. You just you got to give time, you know, and this is organic. It's it, this is very natural sounding. It's like a bunch of friends. It's a celebration of the album to me. Well, the uh, well, thank you. I'm I'm uh, I'm glad you've heard it. And I hope oh, yeah. people out there listening will. Uh, I want to thank uh, three people primarily first and foremost my wife Monique to whom mm -hmm. I've been 
happily and blissfully married some 43 years now. If it weren't for her, I don't think I would have made the record. Uh, she convinced me to do it. And a lot of times I trust her intuition more than my analytical thinking. You are a smart man then. <laughs> so when when I when we talked it over, she was absolutely definite. She said, Well, you always talk about how Johnny's your all-time musical hero. And if it weren't for him, you wouldn't be where you are today. Well, here's your opportunity to acknowledge that. Uh and you know, I just want to thank Monique for giving me the strength and courage to make the record, the love and support to do it. The next person I want to thank is Ross Hogarth, who started out as the engineer uh, and mixer, but actually ended up being producer and co-creator. And he had uh, so many amazing suggestions for guest artists he really kept things on track it would not be the record uh, that it is without him but he suggested people like uh, Doyle Bramhall Jr who I knew of as having played uh, with her at Clapton but I, I didn't know what a, a great and accomplished uh, slide acoustic slide guitarist he is and how yeah. much he was into the delta blues he suggested john mcphee with the doobie brothers to do slide on uh on highway 61 uh he had done the tashmo album with Taj Mahal and kevmo yep. and uh i i knew that he was close with kevmo and the, the one of the two songs that i wrote uh the original song that I wrote specifically for the album, uh, one of which was Lone Star Blues, that I, I wanted uh, an iconic blues master and Kevmo was the perfect guy. I'll talk some more about that specific song, but yeah. the, the point I'm making here is uh, just uh, thanking Ross. Uh, he, he was just like, uh, 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 oh, another thing he did, it, we realized toward the end of, of the album uh, that we didn't have anything by Muddy Waters. And that was really, right. Johnny loved and idolized Muddy. And I think uh, one of the high points of his career, certainly in his mind, was <laughs> having the opportunity to record and, and play with Muddy. That meant the world to him. And as soon as uh, as soon as Ross said it, I said, oh, wow, how, how could I not have thought of that and realized that? So uh, we got to Bobby Rush, who's a, a, a great blues Grammy winning, winning artist and who I didn't know, but he's actually, I thought of him as one of the Chicago blues guys. So yeah. we wanted that song, Got My Mojo Working. It's sort of like Muddy's Anthem and a song that was perfect for the album. So, uh, you know, Bobby, he's like, I couldn't believe it. He was like in his eighties. And when he did that song, it was like a blues guy in his prime. Uh, <laughs> it was just, and he was full. I didn't know he knew Johnny. And this turned out to be the case. A lot of these artists were longtime friends, people who I knew. Uh, and had played with, but there were also a lot of people who I had never met uh, or just talked to in passing, and they all had 
done these multi-act blues festivals and shows with Johnny. They all had Johnny stories. And that was the case with Bobby, which I, I hadn't even been aware of, but he was full of Johnny stories. And it was just such a warm feeling. Uh, same thing happened with Joe Walsh. Like Joe and I go way back to when he was in the James Gang. And uh, I'd asked him to play Johnny Be Good. And he... Uh, he said, well, you know, that song, uh, it's Chuck Berry classic. I don't know what I can bring to that. Uh, and he listened to a bunch of songs and surprisingly chose Stranger, which I'll hope, hopefully talk a little bit about yeah. later as well. But a yeah. beautiful ballad and very uncharacteristic of what Johnny would have written. But uh, since Joe picked the other song to play on, I said, well, at least let's sing the song. So I came over to his house and, you know, we had arms around each other and uh, we were like, go, go, Johnny, go, Johnny, be good. It was just like when Johnny and I used to sing that song together as kids. And it just seems like such an obvious idea. Uh, but it has a, a very particular and special significance uh, to both Johnny and me because uh, it actually, in a sense, launched our professional careers. When we were just kids, Johnny's first band was called Johnny and the Jammers. And I guess I was like 10 or 11 years old. He was 13, 14. And uh, uh the hottest song we knew was Johnny Be Good. So we entered this talent contest and we went on, we played and we won. And and first prize is you get to make your very own record. So uh, uh, we did a song called School Day Blues that Johnny wrote, the first recording we ever made. And uh, so who knows if it hadn't been for Johnny Be Good, uh, that might never have happened. And so, of course, Johnny recorded it on, on his first uh, Columbia album, and I knew that it had to be part of, of this album. And, you know, it's not, it's not only Johnny's story, but it's the story of every kid coming from humble beginnings uh, who picks up a guitar and dreams of uh, being a star. So uh, I was so glad that Joe you know, join me on that. And then we got a, a great Texas guitarist, David Grissom, uh, to do the guitar, and he just killed it. He he uh, had listened to both versions, the original Chuck Berry and Johnny's, and yeah, right down the middle, you know, very, very cool. But just in general, uh, uh, stuff like that that Ross did was just uh, uh, immeasurably beautiful and like I said, wouldn't be the record it is without him. The third person I want to thank is Bruce Quarto, who's the president of Quarto Valley Records. And Bruce wanted to do the record for all the right reasons. Uh, when I talked to him about it, he loved Johnny's music. He was totally familiar with it. And he said, come on, Edgar, we've got to do, we, we've got to bring this music back. And, uh, give people either the fans uh, who remember Johnny or mm -hmm. people that possibly have never heard his music, you know, the opportunity to hear that. And he said, you can take as long as you want. You can, uh, I don't, you know, whoever you want uh, to invite to be on it is, is okay with me. Uh, and I told him, I said, 
Well, I think it'll probably take a year uh, to make, uh, and I don't want to rush it. It ended up taking three years to do wow. uh, uh, with the onset of COVID. And that yeah. was what complicated the, the whole issue because uh, I had uh, I had made it clear I, that I wanted to be present for every session uh, and uh, every performance by any guest that was going to be on it. And that was the case in the beginning. But toward the end, uh, uh, it got to be impossible to do that. And thankfully, Ross was there. Like, Ross went up to Santa Barbara uh, uh, when Michael McDonald sang his magical vocal on the song Stranger that Joe Walsh ended up playing on. Uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, I want to thank Bruce uh, for just for believing in the project, you know, wholeheartedly mm -hmm. in the very beginning and uh, and allowing it, you know, to develop, as you said, organically. And it really yeah. uh, took on a life of its own. So basically, there you have it. So uh, so uh, shoot with any further questions. Wow. First, I feel like with all that, that, that great acceptance speech, I feel like I should give you like a Grammy. You, you might get a Grammy, though. This is a good album. You might need to shorten it before the music comes on. But I, I think it's a good, good, good acceptance. Gives everybody credit. And this album, I can see it winning an award. I actually can on a serious note. I think it's it's fantastic. I do want to say. Um, I, I just want to hop into these songs, but um, I want to say one thing. I think definitely your brother's got to be going. You did him right. You did him right. This is you got to feel good because. The album, the production does not sound like it's uneven. It sounds like you had this the best band for the whole album. It, it feels solid. Just no, you know, doesn't feel uneven in the songwriting, the production, which is, which says a lot, you know. Well, I do, thank you. Uh, yeah. One reason for that is the fact that uh, Greg Bissonette, who is, I just think, one of the great drummer greatest drummers yeah. is a drummer with with Ringo's all-star band yeah uh, Ringo ended up playing on the song Stranger uh and that came about as a result of uh with Michael McDonald uh, eventually doing the vocal and that again uh that was Monique's idea we were sitting around listening to the song I had done a vocal on it which was okay and she just out of the blues you know, Michael McDonald's voice would sound just great on that song. And as soon as she said it, I said, wow, you know, I could just hit you know, like, hello, pretty stranger, you know, that yeah. quality that it, only, it, only he could do. Perfect. Right. And it's so instantaneously identifiable. But uh, uh, Joe, having played guitar, uh, I don't know if you, if you and, and everybody out there is aware of this, but uh, Ringo is married to the beautiful Barbara Bach, and Barbara's mm -hmm. sister Marjorie is married to Joe. So they're brothers. Oh, I, I did I did not know that. I just knew the marriage part. But that's cool. And, uh, I thought well, because it was just it was sort of an impossible dream to get Ringo to play on this record. I I didn't think he. Uh, I really didn't think he would do it. I don't think he plays on that many artists' records. Uh, but finally, I got up the nerve to call him and, and ask him, Edgar, I'll do it for you. And and I just, 
uh, <laughs> it just touched my heart. I said, oh, this is this is just the greatest. So you've got like uh, you've got Michael McDonald, Joe Walsh, and Ringo Starr. Yeah, what are you? Doobie Brothers, and a Beatle all in one album. That's, 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 you know, that's insane. Here on the same record, much less the you know the same exact song. Same song. Uh, but uh, you know, the first question in my mind was, should it just be a straight-ahead blues record? Uh, and just in honor of Johnny and the legacy that he left, because uh, we have very different musical tastes. We both love yeah. the blues, uh, but Johnny loves the old acoustic Delta style blues that people like uh, Muddy Waters, uh, at Lightning Hopkins, right. uh, John Lee Hooker, uh, Howlin' Wolf, all those guys. And I kind of gravitate more toward the urban blues, people like uh, Ray Charles, B.B. King, Bobby Blue Bland, a lot, a lot of big horn bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because of that, I just never imagined that I would do a record like like this. So the, the first question, as I was saying, should it just be all Johnny's straight ahead blues or should it be more of a tribute from me personally to my brother and incorporate a lot of the more obscure songs that happen to be my own personal favorite right. songs like Stranger, you know? Like th- that's definitely not a blues song. It's it's a beautiful ballad. Uh, has uh, it's really melodic. It has interesting chords, uh, and it's uh, it just reveals a sensitive and more vulnerable side of Johnny that he doesn't usually uh, display. And uh, so my answer to that question was that it should be a balance of both, and that's what I tried. To you know, to achieve with the record was, first of all, I knew like there are the obvious songs that people are going to expect to hear, like Rock and Roll and Alive and Well. Uh, uh, and then uh, that uh, that you uh, just think when you hear those songs, you think of Johnny. Uh, then there was Johnny Be Good that I already mentioned, but there are a lot of songs like that that Johnny became very closely associated with uh, songs like uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Highway 61. I mean, you know, Johnny loved the Stones and uh, he loved Dylan, that the whole mystique. We used to do lots of uh, Bob Dylan songs, uh, Highway 61 for sure, uh, Hey Mr. Tambourine Man, and uh, uh, Like Rolling Stone. Uh, so uh, I felt like, you know, that was one that should be on. Also, it was one of Johnny's uh, slide vehicles. And, well, you know, one of the things about Johnny uh, that I think that a lot of people, well, several things, and uh, all reasons for my wanting to do this record that I don't think people are aware of. Mm-hmm. But, uh, of course, I'm prejudiced, but... I really feel like if you if you think about all the great guitarists that have ever been and uh, and and like people now like Eric Clapton, uh, Jeff Beck, uh, I uh, you know Jimi Hendrix, 
I put Johnny up there. Uh, I class him with those greatest guitarists. And, uh, and I just feel like he was underappreciated. And the other thing that, that he did that I don't uh, think people are aware of is his fusion of blues and rock. And for him, that was a sort of an interesting dichotomy and, and a conflict in a way because he loved blues. That was his first love. He always went back to the, he was true to the blues and he played the music and he lived the life. And I, I love him for that. Uh, but he's also a great rock player. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the point being that there are so many great electric blues guitar players, you know, like Stevie Ray, uh, from you know, similar in certain ways, but I think the thing that separated Johnny uh, was his acoustic style, uh, uh, his slide playing. Uh, the you know, like there are a lot of great electric blues guitarists, but I don't think anybody uh, that's really a dying art, and there yes. are so few people around now that that know all of those alternate tunings and uh, can play that authentic style of slide guitar. And he was just masterful at that. And Highway 61 is a perfect example of that, Mean Town Blues also. So mm -hmm. talking about the song selection, there were certain songs that Johnny wrote that I felt had to be on. Mean Town was one of them. And uh, I'm Yours and I'm Hers which uh, featured uh, Billy Gibbons and uh, uh, yeah. Billy, you know, Billy just, he, he just really killed it uh, vocally. And that was a song that I was not going to sing because as I mentioned, being married for 43 years, I wasn't going to sing, I'm yours and I'm hers and somebody else's too. <laughs> I thought, who's the perfect person? Oh, Billy go, you know, the, like, uh, <laughs> uh, Billy was the perfect guy to do that. Plus, I just thought, like, you know, we've done lots of shows with ZZ Top, and uh, if if uh, if Billy's uh, going to play guitar, I want to hear him sing because his voice is so distinctive and has so much character. And, and you know, he he was a perfect guy, you know, to uh, to do that. Yeah. But I just wanted to. Uh, you know, Drowning My Own Tears was another one that, that's not typical of what Johnny uh, would normally do. And I always felt like he he included that song, that he did that song especially for me uh, because he knew how much I loved Ray. And, uh, you know, I remember when we were recording the record, one day he said, hey, Edgar, why don't we do, I would just uh, like to do Drowning My Own Tears and uh, have you play the piano uh, just like Ray and do the horn arrangement. And uh, he didn't even put guitar on that, on that song. And I've, you know, I thought he did it uh, uh, especially for me because he wanted to give me the opportunity to do something that was, in my style. Uh, That's pretty and, cool. And when I sang, when I sang the song, yeah, the record, I, I just really choked up because I felt like 
not only was I singing it back to him, the, the way he sang it to me so many years ago when he was so young and vital and at, at the top of his game. Uh, but I felt like I was singing it to our parents, my mother and father who passed on, all my bandmates, the people like uh, Jerry LaCroix, who's the lead singer in White Trash. Uh, I'm the last surviving member of the Edgar Winter group, Dan Hartman, Ronnie Montrose, and, and Chuck Ball. Uh, so, you know, I struggled through it and uh, uh, broke down a lot of times. But after I finished doing that song, I felt this immense feeling of serenity, uh, peace. Uh, and healing. It was very cathartic and, and therapeutic experience. And for the most part, uh, the album was just a joyous, uplifting experience. But as I said, it was highly emotional. There was a right. lot of laughs and a lot of tears, you know, along the way. But, uh, you know, I I know it's not the album that Johnny would make or, or or would have made and our approaches are so entirely different i'm a perfectionist and uh uh that the you know the album brother johnny it's uh, meticulously crafted with so much love and care johnny on the other hand he would go in and like He'd plug in and sing a song like three times. <laughs> and uh, if and if they didn't get the take, you know, he'd say, ah, so let's go on to the next song, you know. <clears throat> He's and great. Like that's that. the blues. That's yeah. that's that's the real thing. And and what that reminds me of is uh that I'll just mention this. Uh uh when Warren Haynes, uh, uh there were uh uh there were two, there, there were a lot of guitar players that Johnny truly loved. And, and I mm -hmm. should mention Derek Trucks along with Billy Gibbons on I'm Yours and I'm Hers because that's just a fantastic chemistry and such, a, such an interesting uh, guitar interplay between the, between the two of them, between mm -hmm. Billy and Derek. But uh, uh, two of the people that Johnny loved were Warren Haynes and Derek Trucks, both of whom played with the Allman Brothers back in the day. And now, you know, of course, uh, Government Mule and, and uh, Tedeschi Trucks. Yeah. But uh, when Warren came in, uh, he chose a song called Memory Pain. And another, another point I'd like to make is that I never thought about a particular guest artist uh, to do any specific song because I uh, and I didn't want to do a nostalgia album or a, and I'm not really a fan of tribute albums in general uh, to me a lot of times uh, you might as well substitute like copy album or sound alike and I didn't want to do a sound alike album I wanted all of these artists to uh, uh, to play in their own style, to do Johnny's music, but uh, to do it in their own special way. And, uh, you know, I, I never suggested that, that anybody try to emulate or uh, copy Johnny, but 
that having been said, I think of all the guitarists on there, Joe Bonamassa just channeled Johnny the most amazingly and uh, was not something that I had asked him to do, but, uh, uh, and I was started out talking about Warren, but I wanna say this about Joe first. And this was like, I didn't want anybody on there uh, to do a song that they didn't passionately feel was their song and a song that uh, that that meant something to them. So uh, I would give everybody, you know, a, a song list of stuff. And when I was talking to Joe, uh, I was going down a list, and and uh, there were a lot of songs uh, that didn't that didn't get on. But when I got to self-destructive blues, Joe just, oh wow! You're my favorite song on the album. That's my favorite song on the album. You know, uh, he said, "I love that." He said that was the first Johnny Winter song that I heard. I love that song, and I learned that, and I played it with my band. And so, when he came in to do the session, he had Gibson Firebird, old Fender <laughs> Basement amp, the exact same gear that Johnny used to use. And I swear, when he when he started that song, I just closed my eyes and it was like Johnny, his, his spirit and his presence was in the room. I, I, I was just uh, totally amazed. Uh, so that was one highlight for me. And now I want to go back to, uh, we were talking uh, about Warren Haynes. Yeah. What he did was uh, he, the same sort of thing happened when I was, we were talking on the phone and, when I said memory pain, you know, you can stop right there. That's the one I want to do. So uh, uh, I love that song because it's it's sort of more R&B. And, uh, you know, Johnny's so much more versatile. I think people really associate him with, uh, you know, particularly with traditional blues. And, and that is, you know, first and foremost, what he did. But... Uh, he really was uh, was very versatile, and uh, when Warren came in, he walked up to the mic, he plugged in his guitar, and he played the whole song, start to finish, singing and playing at the same time. He did the song, and you know that well, what are you supposed to do? But you'd be like, in most cases, when a guitar player comes in, they'll say, well, uh, and then we'll focus on the solo. I'll get that down and I'll go out and right. do the vocal. Uh, that, that's usually the way it is. But Warren just, he did the song exactly the way, and he did it, he did it three times, just like Johnny would have done the exact same way he would have played that song with the blues trio. Uh, you know, that's the blues that just blew me away when he did that's, that. That's really impressive. And he that was, is, he was done. <laughs> that is incredible. That is awesome. I do want to say when you were saying earlier that you think he's not known as being like one of the top guitarists, I believe he's a top, one of the top guitarists and people have been on, on my show. We've, I've done like, like, like favorite albums and stuff. But my my one of my top ten albums is 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 third degree, hands down. That steel guitar and him playing it that is like one of the best albums out there. You know, 
I tell everybody those there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that, yeah. that album is just so, the guitar is just so dirty sounding. It's just so raw. It's beautiful. You know, I don't, you know, that, to me, the album is perfection. Third degree of his is the best. You yeah. know, what is actually your favorite album of his? Uh, I would agree with you. Yeah. You, you mean my favorite album, what, yeah. of all time? Or, yeah, uh, of his, of his, of his. Oh, man. I don't, it, that's impossible for me to say because uh, although I love blues, uh, you know, I love jazz and classical. Uh, and uh, to me, it would be impossible for me to pick uh, in, you know, in album uh i love ray charles i think probably probably ray had the most yeah. influence on me of uh, any artist uh just uh he he plays piano at, it, you know uh he incorporates that style of gospel and jazz he blends those kind of kind of like Mac Rabinite, like Dr. John, but he's just the most soulful singer that's that's ever been. And uh, even people like that uh, may not think they're trying to copy Ray Charles, he just changed the whole landscape of vocal. Uh, uh, There was so much sincerity and soul in his voice that I I feel like, uh, you know, so I, you know, uh, that's close that I can, you know, come, yeah. but there, there are so many great albums. Right, right, right. I usually say it depends on the day you ask me, usually for Good me. Good question. <laughs> it, it depends on the day. I mean, just you know, how you're feeling that day is usually my favorite. That's why we say my top 10, because I can't ever funnel down to one. But yeah, um, no, I could do a top 10 list. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I yeah but, you know, know. Our time would be better spent. No, I, on the um, album. no, no. Yeah, that's why you figured one off uh, the top of your head. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, there some people do really have a favorite album. You know, uh, I'm I'm not one of those guys. But I remember once I was doing an interview, and and uh, out of the blue, this guy says, "In ten words or less, give me your definition of the blues." <laughs> and I thought, oh, what what is what is uh, you can <laughs> have the blues, you can sing the blues, you can play the blues, but to define the blues. Uh, you know, the blues defines itself. Right. And, uh, and I, uh, I thought about it for, I said, well, let me, let me think about that. And at the end of the, uh, the end of the, the best thing I could come up with is uh, the blues is transforming suffering into joy. And that's what it has done for me, what I think it did for Johnny and what I hope it does for everybody. Uh, you know, like, uh, there's a lot of sad stuff, you know, uh, you know, my baby done left me. I lost my job, my, I'm homeless. Uh, but there's something joyous about like when you like hear BB sing a, a, like a song like a, a, nobody loves me but my mother and she could be jiving too, you know. <laughs> well, Just, I think I think people love melancholy. People like the. The yeah. melancholy it makes suppose sometimes it makes you happy to be sad sometimes like it just to feel that emotion yeah. it's just it's a yeah, very some powerful of songs are, are sad songs and su- suffering is universal and 
and I think that there is that Zen aspect uh, mm -hmm. because of that, you know, uh, the blues is, you know, you can go anywhere in this world and sit down with any group of musicians and start like a regular 12 bar blues. Everybody can play it. You know, it's, it's just instant uh, connection and right. communication. But uh, not everybody can do it well. Now, no. that's the thing with the blues. You're either really good or you're horrible. Because if you have no soul and they're playing the blues, you go, oh, this is just doing the scales. But if you have yeah. it in your heart, no matter how experienced you are, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. You know, yeah. and so it just depends it really on. Is. Yeah. If I, it, like, even though all of my career has been about trying to broaden musical horizons and, and make people aware of all the different styles of music that are out there, and I never could understand from the very beginning why music is separated into uh, into these strict genres. Uh, and like, to me, it seemed almost like musical segregation. It's like, uh, okay, all you cowboys are going to play the country western right. stuff, and all these black people are going to play the blues, and all you educated people are going to listen to classical, and uh, and and then you've got your uh, rebellious kind of jazz yeah. mentality of of player uh people that are digging deep in, into music and i just always felt like it's all music and uh you know so uh but if i had to pick anything uh i love blues and i've always thought of blues as the great granddaddy of all music like blues uh kind yeah. of morphed and developed into uh into Dixieland and then into jazz into modern jazz and and then found its way into rock and I I think a lot of times people are or either forget or are just unaware of what a profound influence blues has on all the music the popular music that you hear today and a lot of the people tend to think of blues as something old that's over with and already happened, but uh, that's not the case at all. The blues is alive and well. The blues is in a lot of music, and and, and you know, I like to say even jazz is in a lot of rock that people don't realize how much jazz is in modern rock. Just the chords and how it's the songs are built. Yeah. You know, it's not the other kind of jazz where the joke is. You know, the joke he says, "How do you make a million dollars playing jazz? You start with two million. <laughs> yeah. you know because it's you know it's a lonely game <laughs> because not yeah. everyone's want to get it well, it's a very intellectual thing too and it's, it's a very heartfelt thing like the blues so not everyone's going to get that you know um but it's in there too so but but blues is so much in rock so much in heavy metal and, oh, and absolutely. everything it, yeah, it's definitely it, there those uh none of those forms could exist blues is the basis of you know of all of that and uh black sabbath is like the blues with distortion i mean it's <laughs> zeppelin everything is there you know and that's how and it started spontaneity of you know uh of blues just a guy sitting down you know like in his rocking chair on the street corner and he's just singing making stuff up and just singing from his heart uh and that's that was is the basis of spontaneity in jazz and in jamming in rock, and uh, 
you know, you don't, uh, and there's another jamming. There's a lot of jamming on Brother Johnny. And I, mm-hmm. like, when I, when I started to make the album and as I got into it, I started to question, I said, maybe, maybe I'm making too much of a musician's album here because there, there's so much, uh, there's so much jamming and, and, uh, and guitar, a lot of soloing, but that's what Johnny did. That, that's his fan base right there. You know, yeah. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be true to his spirit otherwise, or true to the spirit of, of the blues. So, uh, uh, I just went ahead and, and let the album unfold organically. And, you know, like, uh, the, the people that ended up as guests were the people who really wanted to be on the album. Like when I asked Billy, like it was instantaneous. Oh, we've got to do that. You know, uh, and, you know, he was so excited, you know, when he came in to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I said, like, uh, uh, I was overwhelmed with, uh, and you mentioned you mentioned uh, Taylor Hawkins, yeah. uh, like he was a guy that Ross uh, Hogarth suggested, and I I never would have thought of of Taylor, uh, but that song, uh, I think I think that that particular song that uh, that he played on is without doubt the the highest energy, most rock song, I guess I'll go away. Johnny wrote that song shortly after uh, coming back from rehab. And, you know, it's uh, uh, it's cautionary in the sense that it's, uh, you know, the danger of drugs, uh, the uh, the lure of sex and, and, uh, and, the love of rock and roll it incorporates yeah. all of those things and when uh when ross suggested i thought oh i love foo fighters and i because i feel like that's probably the most modern song a lot yeah. of the song are their blues and their rock and roll but that's really a rock song it's it's almost it's almost heavy metal so i wanted a young uh, modern approach to the vocal and uh and when Ross suggested Taylor I thought oh, that's perfect and when he came in it was I had never met Taylor and he was just he was so sincere and uh and so excited he was just brimming with enthusiasm and I tried to engage him in a business discussion and he just would not hear of it he said look i love johnny i love this song i i don't want anything for doing this i just want to get out there and rock you know (laughs) rock he he did and it's just so ironic that you know that he would put his heart into that song and then you know doing a tribute uh to johnny uh and then he himself before the album was even released dies under such similar circumstances in a in a hotel that's exactly the way johnny passed away in in a hotel room yeah Uh, 
and it's it's eerie, you know. It's uh, it's like a tribute within a tribute, and uh, you know, Taylor. I I just you know when I think about it, I never because he wouldn't accept anything, uh, mm -hmm. and I never really feel like I got the chance to thank him properly for what he contributed, and I'm I'm just I'm so happy that uh, you know that's probably one of his last performances but probably uh, is you know well, he didn't look at it like that you know i mean this is, him right. doing this was, was a gift that's why he was so special yeah you know, that he but loved that's, music. that's the kind of thing that i'm talking about like when a record company asked me like what guests can you guarantee uh, you know i thought i don't how how do i know what it's going to be until i start to do it uh yeah and uh, as I said, the, you know, I didn't want to just pick, you know, the usual suspects, all the obvious people. I wanted more of uh, 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 an interesting cast, you know, of players. And uh, like, I don't think, I, uh, I don't think you'd expect to see Ringo or Taylor, uh, uh, you know, on there. Uh, yeah. And there, you know, there, there are a lot of other examples, probably Doyle either, Doyle Bramhall, but maybe, well, because, you know, he is a, he is a, a blues guy, but uh, uh, it, just the way it unfolded, I think, uh, what, to me was uh, really, really magical in, in a sense. And, yeah. you know, I uh, am just so happy uh, like, I don't think it's it's not the album Johnny would have made, but I think it is uh, the album Johnny would have wanted me to make for him. Uh, and he he always encouraged me to follow my heart, even though he loved the blues. Uh, I think he liked it most, like when I did more advanced stuff, uh, you know, that uh, reflected my own personal like stuff that was jazzier and mm -hmm. and more classically oriented. He he loved the first entrance album, uh, for example. But uh, uh, you know, uh, and another thing about Johnny that uh, that I I feel like I should mention uh, that was a big difference in our the way we thought uh, was the fact that. As young kids, we both, uh, we were inseparable. We started playing together. When I was four years old, uh, my mother, I don't remember this, but she uh, says we did this, this old radio show called the Uncle Willie Show. It had an old lady like would play organ and kids would come and like uh, tap dance or, or do stuff. And yeah. I, remember, uh, I remember doing it when I was six. Uh, uh, and I was playing like we uh, started out playing ukuleles and singing Everly Brothers songs together. And uh, uh, but uh, back as far as I can remember, Johnny had that drive and ambition. He was going to be a star and he read all the magazines. He had a huge record collection. And he was Johnny Cool Daddy Winter with the pompadour and the shades and the guitars and the girls. And I was like the 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 
I was like the kid, the quiet kid that played all the instruments. And uh, uh, and the, iron, the ironic thing about that is the fact that after having worked his whole life long to achieve that dream and, uh, and that great accomplishment, when he seemingly had everything that he had dreamed of, uh, fame, fortune, uh, respect, adoring fans, uh, the, you know, the whole thing. I remember him saying to me, oh, Edgar, I just, I, I never expected it to be like this. I just feel so isolated and, and cut off from people. It's like there's this image uh, of me that has, I feel invisible, like th th this has taken over my life. I don't know uh, who to trust or who I can talk to. Uh, and it's like, it's such a hard thing to explain because uh, fame is just so bright and shiny and attractive. And you would think, how could anybody not be just uh, happy, you know, over overwhelmed with gratitude? Uh, but, and there's no way to explain this unless you've experienced it. It does have all those beautiful things and, you know, but uh, you kind of become a target and you, you lose your privacy and, uh, and it definitely plays havoc with your own self image because you see so much stuff that's written about you. And I always tried to just, uh, take it with a grain of salt. I never had any desire to be famous. Uh, and I just love music in and of itself. I love the, the beauty of chords and harmony and rhythm. And uh, whereas Johnny reached out to the world with his music, I sort of retreated into my own sort of private musical fantasy world. And uh, so we were very different in that way. But the song Lone Star Blues, I tried to capture because Johnny eventually overcame all of that. He, yeah. uh, uh, in, in later life, he, he came to appreciate what he had. He loved his fans. I've seen him like invite people into, into his bus or the RV, shake hands with them, sign things, uh, take pictures with them but he did go through that difficult period of, of of adjustment of disorientation and disillusionment with regard he felt like uh nobody really knew him or knew who he was and uh uh so i tried to write lone star blues in his voice uh see he never really addressed that uh, specifically, yeah. there was a little of that in Guess I'll Go Away, uh, but uh, I tried to write that as, as much as I could in, in Johnny's voice, uh, and the beautiful thing about that song is when, you know, I, I felt like, well, this song, it has to have a great blues master, and I 
I thought Kevmo would be the perfect guy. And I knew that Ross had worked with Kevmo on that Grammy, you know, that Grammy winning Tajmo album. So uh, uh, he set up a call where I explained the whole thing to Kevmo and uh, and he was so he was he was so kind and attentive and listened to everything I had to say about why I was making the album and what the mm -hmm. song was about. And he said, Well, let me hear it. So uh, he completely uh, broke that song down. He started from scratch. He played all the instrument. He he made that song his own. And the the thing about it was because it it was kind of negative the way that I wrote it because it was all about that struggle. Mm -hmm. But when it came to those choruses and Kevmo, sounds like the Lone Star Blues, it was just introduced this note of warmth and compassion. It was like, he is like, uh, there was all this other stuff in the verses, but he was like the old blues master that was, uh, telling the young guy, yeah, things can get tough, but it's gonna be all right. And that, I just thank you, Kevmo, for that such a, to me, it, it, that song now just has, it has a, a warmth and, you know, and sincerity, you know, that it would have uh, otherwise lacked. Lacked. And, you know, so very cool duet and, and you know, Kevmo, and he was perfect for that song. Every every track is, is killer on it. Um, Seventeen tracks. I think people are gonna love it. I, I you know I think you could, you could get new fans. I I think and I also want people to take time to go back and listen to all your other stuff. You your records are always solid. Your last one, uh, the road um, road rebel, rebel road rebel road. Sorry, I got backwards. There. Yes, great. Still still solid. You're not slowing down. You, well, thank you. Yeah, I, yeah uh, I remember that album. You'll never hear a good winner talking about a farewell tour. That's right. I'm going to go down kicking and screaming with my boots on. Well, that's something you're not slowing down. I mean, that's a strong album. It's not like it was like an easy listening album. It's it's a rock. It's good. It's rock. It's, and I, I remember hearing it when it first came out. I was like, wow, it's great. I just wanted to throw that in there to, to acknowledge. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Songs, you. I mean, and you, I, I hope the same thing. It's part of why I did the, the record is yeah. uh, that I hope that. And I know that people have, you know, followed my music and Johnny's are going to love it. Uh, but uh, I, and I also wanted it to be not only a blues album. It's really a rock album. It's a blues rock album. Right. Uh, but I wanted to be a tribute to not just to Johnny, but to the blues and to the guitar. Right. Uh, it's, it's a rabbit hole. I think it's a rabbit hole where they can dive in to your work, to your brother's work, to these, to these other artists that are on the album. There's like so many starting points of other music to keep digging into from this, you know, it's like a, a great diving point, you know? Well, that's how I feel. You thank know? you. Uh, and uh, I, I guess we've uh, discussed just about, about, yeah, about everything. Yeah. Yeah, you did. You did. And, you know, but I, it's important that people know that you do and people know your, your big songs but your albums are solid all the way through. It's not like you just have like two good songs. And like, I don't know if everybody realizes how good your other albums are, solid tracks, you know, one after the other. Um, I've always dug. So I want people to just well, go back and listen to everything, not just this album. This album's going to knock your socks off. 
but well, thank you. Go back and listen thank to the other you. stuff too. I, I think yes. uh, one thing that makes this album different than most of my albums is that it, it has such a definite focus because a lot of my albums are Rebel Road was pretty much like trying to you know make a, a an album like the '70s, and right. this you know this this album is very much that way. Uh, and I think we're all tempted to feel like the time in which we came up was somehow special. But I really do believe that there are two golden eras in music, the 40s and 50s for big band jazz and swing, and the 60s and 70s for rock. And I think that those are unparalleled. And, you know, there was so much musical freedom in those days. And, uh, you know, bands were making real music. And it was it was very different. Like you'd go into the studio with three or four songs and you'd actually sit down in the studio and create an album. Uh, and then it got to the point where there was so much intervention from record, record companies, they would want to hear demos of everything to uh, approve the material. And, you know, it, it just uh, uh, there was uh, too much uh, business and commercialization that entered into making records but uh, but you know back in those days there was nobody looking over your shoulder you could you know you you uh you could do what you wanted and none of that album would ever ever come into existence if it weren't for that uh you know that climate and right. you know that sense of freedom i say it all the time that you would not have had sorry miss up on you that you would not have had some of the bigger bands if they had to be like today, because there there was no one album nurture, it was three or four albums. And then you go back and listen to it. Your Aerosmith, your your, your Rod Stewart, your, any any band from back then that were big, they had a couple albums before they got big. They worked it on the road. They matured. They, they grew. That's never going to happen again, you know. Yeah, and there you know there was it was there was artist development then too. Like you sign with a company and. Uh, yeah. they would support you you know you like uh, I did uh, I did the entrance album and two white trash albums and then finally when I did they only come out at night I really felt like I owed that album to Clive Davis Clive had signed me to uh, with uh, you know CBS to, uh, Johnny was on Columbia and I was on Epic and uh if, if it hadn't been for Clive's support, uh, I never would have made those first three. I never would have made the entrance album. I probably wouldn't have formed White Trash. And I certainly wouldn't have formed the Edgar yeah. Winter group, you know. So I had, uh, you know, those records, they all, they eventually went gold. But uh, when I made They Only Come Out at Night, I just, it was sort of, uh, I felt, like I said, uh, I in my mind I dedicated that to Clive and I thought I've received really generous advances for all the music that I've done up to this time. Now I'm going to do something that they they can really do yeah. something with. Uh, but a lot of artists feel that way about Clive. He saved to be he gave them the freedom. That that's another thing you know you, you won't know. see again. Yeah, I just you know? felt like time to engage a wider audience uh, and. You know, Johnny went through that too. He had, he loved the blues, but he also loved rock. He was a great rock player and management and record companies. They all encouraged him to go in a more rock direction because they felt like, and we were talking about musical, like uh, musical genres. Yeah. Uh, 
I think a lot of that was generated from record companies because they they like an artist to be one specific thing. He's either a rock guy or he's a jazz guy or he's a blues guy. And it gives them a, a target audience, you know, that they can, they know how to promote, you know. Uh, well, that's what so. it changes. And the, and the record labels become more like banks and the artists are not artists, they're commodities. And if they know what the, the product is, it's no longer what you, what, you know, you're, you're feeling. They just want that platter. And this platter work, they want to sell this product again. There's, that's when, you know, it kind of goes out the window, you know? Yeah. And well, that's how it changed. That's how it changed for people. Nowadays, you're not going to do that. Now they want like a, like a cottage industry where you go in and the record companies go, oh, you got your views, you got your Instagram and your YouTube channels, you got all your followers. They want the whole package coming in, you know? Just yeah. artists starting out, just writing songs. So... Well, I guess it's time to it wrap is. it up. Last it thing I, I, you know, yes. uh, this is something that uh, uh, that I remember from childhood. Uh, and it was, it's funny how memory, uh, certain things you recall that stand out for no apparent reason. But uh, I was talking about Johnny's dream i remember this we were we were out in our backyard sitting in the tree house that our dad had built for us and johnny was kind of staring up through the branches and he said one of these days i'm gonna make it and you may not believe it but you will too and uh then he thought another minute and he said uh I want you to remember this day and remember what I said. <laughs> and I, and I still like, I thought, you know, I was just a kid and I thought, well, he's just talking, but I still remember that, you know, that is a great story. Perfect. That is, that is a perfect and, way to wrap it. Yeah. And I, I always thought, because as I said, we, we had that musical bond, but we also had the bond of being albino uh, and that, I think, caused us to view the world somewhat differently, yeah. you know, and it drew us even closer uh, together. Uh, but uh, I mentioned Johnny being my all-time musical hero. He was also a living hero to me because uh, the way he reached out with his music showed me that being albino could actually not be a drawback that could be cool. He actually yeah. turned it around and, and, you know, made it, made it work for him. And, uh, and I always felt like uh, whatever happens to me, however many years go by, how old I get, there's one person in this world that I know will understand uh, how I feel and what I've been through in life. And that person was and is my brother Johnny. So that's that's why I wanted to make uh, this album for him. Uh, and I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of our fans that have followed my career as well as that of Johnny's throughout all of these years. And we love you all and could not, uh, could never have done it without you. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just, 
uh, has meant the world to us both to be able to do what we most love and see you all out there rocking and having a great time. So, uh, you know, I hope that uh, that I'll see you out. Uh, we're out here on the road with Ringo and his all-star band. We're awesome. having a blast and we're playing Johnny Be Good. <laughs> and we're having so much fun. It's really like, you know, with two drummers, it's really powerful. It's it's it has a different has a different vibe. But I hope that I'll see some of you out uh, out there, you know, at some of these upcoming shows. I'm sure you uh, will. Uh, we love you all. And what can I say? But get ready to rock and roll. And there you go. Thank you for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. It's been awesome. You're welcome.